Dive into real estate. What are you waiting for? Welcome to the Dive into Real Estate Investing for Newbies podcast, where you will learn some of the newest strategies and simple techniques to get into real estate investing. This podcast is about helping you take action and motivating you to dive into real estate for financial freedom. Now, your host, Cecil Rose. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Dive into Real Estate Investing for Newbies podcast. I have another special guest, uh, TJ Cosen. Uh, TJ is the founder of Platinum Real Estate Mastermind. It's a real estate investment think tank under Sherlock Holmes. Uh, they source, acquire, and sell distressed real estate assets in multiple markets. They also renovate and sell properties throughout Texas. Uh, they teach some wholesaling. Uh, just a lot of things uh, TJ is experienced with. So I'm just happy to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, TJ. Oh, thanks for, so much for that. That was a great introduction. Can I take that and can I use that on my Facebook as a some kind of credibility <laughs> thing? I love it. Hey, go at it. Have at it. All right, perfect. Uh, Send me the link. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, TJ, man, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, seems like you've been doing this for a while and uh, my audience is pretty new, so they'll be happy to hear how you started and uh, currently what markets are you working right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd like to say kind of first of all, definitely don't do it the way I did it because the uh, way that I kind of bumped into being successful was trying all the ways that didn't work first. And then I crossed those off the list as I found out that they didn't work too well. And then finally bumped into things that seem to work pretty well. So don't don't follow me as an example, but maybe like learn from mistakes that we've made over the past bunch of years. Um, got started actually in 2006, went and bought a whole bunch of apartments at what turned out to be a relatively high point in the market. Huge rehab, 112 units was the first one. The second property I bought was 98 units. Uh, not as much of a rehab, more of a stabilized kind of property. Went back there, managed it, got them both stabilized and operational. Um, lost money on one of them actually in the crash, which wasn't too much fun, but kind of been going, uh, kind of been going for it ever since. Um, right now, like there's a lot of time, I guess, in between time, but right now, uh, our office is in the North Texas area. We are in Dallas, so we buy properties in uh, pretty much anywhere in Texas as long as it kind of makes sense. Uh, we do marketing in um, Oklahoma. I've done deals in California in the past. I'm from San Diego. So uh, we did a lot of flipping kind of after we lost money on the apartments, went back to San Diego, bought a bunch of stuff at the bottom of the kind of bottom of the market, did pretty well with it, had some fun, kind of got tired of uh, just sounds kind of funny living, I guess, in Southern California. So I moved out to Dallas uh, seven years ago and we do, we, we do a lot. We do a lot of wholesales. We do a lot of uh, wholetails. It's kind of our niche that we really like because, because of a lot of reasons. And then we do um, we do a lot of flips. We do flips, I guess, when I get bored and I see, uh, oh man, that's a nice house. We should we should really blow that one out. And then two months later, you're finally done with it. And by the time you're done with it, you're tired of looking at it anymore. It's like I don't even care how it turns out. I just want to be done with it. So, <laughs> so that's kind of the that's kind of the short background story, I guess. So, so TJ, tell me. So, uh, with San Diego and Dallas, uh, both are competitive markets, in your opinion. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the big, I guess the big difference we moved so I'm from San Diego. So really familiar with it. Um, a couple of reasons, I guess that I moved away. One was just, uh, kind of the affordability aspect, really. I, there's a lot of folks that kill it in Southern California, like LA, uh, Inland Empire counties, whatever those are out there. So it's, it's fantastic market. It's a great market. You know, we, we'd probably kill it if we went like back out there again, 
but just in the Southern California area, I kind of got tired of uh, the lower volume model because we were doing a lot of flips at the time. So we'd have, you know, two flips going at a time, maybe for us, I guess that's a lot in Southern California, at least I thought it was. And just got tired of like, didn't really see a great straightforward way of just increasing the volume a lot because of how expensive everything was. Um, I think that was probably in retrospect, maybe a limiting kind of mindset on my behalf, but we thought that Dallas would be a good market to jump into uh, for a bunch of different reasons. One, for a bunch of growth. We thought, uh, what, seven years ago, it's kind of before all the cool kids started moving out here. So we thought it'd be good for growth. We thought it'd be good for kind of cash flow. We thought it'd be good for really doing just a higher volume of deals uh, that was, like I said, at the time, didn't really think was that feasible in California. And again, that was more like my, I guess, mindset about it really than uh, the reality of it. But bottom line, it, it is easier to do a higher volume of deals kind of in a more like Dallas type market. That being said, Dallas has definitely gotten a lot more competitive since we've been here over the past, uh, I guess, seven years. Right, right. So so tell me, was the, the first deal you worked, uh, was that in Dallas or was that in another market, another state? No, my first first deal ever was one of those apartment complexes in 2006. Uh, we bought 112 units that were highly distressed, and they're in Memphis, Tennessee, in a kind of sea-ish uh, neighborhood, like not a bad neighborhood. I guess the houses were maybe 100 grand, uh, kind of 80 to 120 range. So just a nice, like kind of working class area. Um, and it was a big value add thing. We were about 10% occupied when we bought it. And we got it up to about 90% occupied, something like that. Uh, 60 something, one bedrooms, 40 something, two bedrooms. And just, it was a, it was a big, uh, I don't know if I want to say learning experience because it was kind of a kick in the teeth too, but it was just a big, uh, big fun project. We went out there, renovated stuff, leased it up, stabilized the management, stabilized the operations, uh, and had a good time with it. The second property was 98 units that was, uh, and a similar subdivision, similar like sub kind of sub market. Um, went in there and bought that. It was more of a stabilized asset. So we bought that with assuming some seller financing, um, assuming a uh, uh, whatever kind of bank loan was on and then refied out of it about six, eight months later, I think. Um, and just kind of operated them for a while. Uh, we did end up losing money on one of the properties in the crash because the kind of sub market changed quite a bit in like 2008 to 2000 kind of 10 ish. And I think we sold, I think we sold the second property in 2011. So anyway, after that, yeah, I went back to San Diego, did the buying and selling houses for a while and then been in Dallas now, uh, the seven, I think seven years actually in June. Right. Right. So were you just, excuse me with my word, strategically going after multifamily? Cause that seemed like that's what your, your first deal where you just focusing on that or that's like, what type of marketing were you doing to, to get those type of leads? That was that the type of marketing you were doing to specifically get those leads? Yeah. Um, it kind of, it was just, it was a different market, I guess, in 2006. So, uh, those I found, I think I found through, I found one of them, actually someone put it on like a, like a Craigslist post or something crazy. Uh, cause I, I was doing loans at the time, uh, in real estate. So, a lot of free time because you're always like posting ads for let's do loans and let me refinance your stuff and all that, whatever. Uh, I think I've just bumped into one of the ads that the owner put on Craigslist, which was pretty crazy. I don't know if anyone doing that as a marketing strategy anymore. And then uh, looked at the deal, did a bunch of math, did a bunch of analysis, went back there and saw what we thought, you know, made sense. 
and uh, just went out and bought it. So I, I wouldn't recommend that as like, I wouldn't recommend you finding multifamily on Craigslist anymore. I don't think it's probably out there. Um, so I, I, yeah, I don't think it works anymore like that, but it was so, that's how I got started. Yeah. So TJ, you were doing loans before yeah. the crash, before the, before the, uh, you know, the, the uh, foreclosure, all that happened. You were doing loans before then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started off out of college in 2005, I think doing loans. So let me, did you see the adjustable rate? Did you see what's, were, were, uh, what was coming uh, as for oh. the forecast and, uh, did you see it with some of your clients and people getting these adjustable rate loans and all this stuff? Yeah, dude, that's actually, that's a brilliant question. Uh, I don't think I've got that question for a while. I love it. No, uh, it's one of the reasons why I went and bought all that multifamily stuff back in 2006. And again, one of them didn't turn out as well as it should have. But uh, yeah, it's, so Southern California is such a different market, at least it was in 06 than even it is now. Um, all growing up in San Diego, we're kind of accustomed to like, the California market, everyone knows goes like that. Right. And the rest of the country isn't quite as used to that. So I remember, I kind of remember the crash a little bit in the eighties, I guess. I remember a big slowdown in the nineties when the dot-com bubble kind of burst. I remember in like mid eighties, I think a lot of military pulled out of San Diego when they um, downsized a lot of bases. So there's, we're just in San Diego. We're always kind of conscious of like a cyclical nature of real estate. So when, uh, when I started doing loans in 05, I started seeing like so many of these loans were um, just not good, like not good loans, I guess. And we, I mean, we tried to do good loans. I tried to be honest and do good loans, but so many of the programs that the lenders had with the no income, no, no doc, no uh, assets, basically ninja loans, I think they called them. I don't think I ever actually did any, but I saw these programs that were coming across and I was like, dude, there's no way this stuff's sustainable. I think it's going to hit California hard in the next, like, what, 2006-ish. Uh, it's going to hit California hard in the next two to three years. I don't know if I want to do real estate in Southern California. Let's go look at other opportunities out there. So that's really what kind of sparked me looking at different stuff and how I kind of really stumbled across, I guess, the properties in Memphis. But I was definitely looking like looking outside the Southern California market. Um, in retrospect, I think in 2000, 2000 like nine, nine ish, nine, 10, pretty much all of Southern California took like a 40% haircut. So mm-hmm. houses that are worth like a million bucks would be worth like 600. Uh, uh, that's, so that's not good. Um, when, when I started buying stuff after kind of losing, like, well, after selling both properties in Memphis and losing money on the one, we bought houses in uh, east of LA, like Los Angeles, but like Inland Empire, maybe 80, 90, hundred miles east for 35, 45, $50,000. When you, we were talking beforehand, you do a lot of short sales. The short sale, the bank was owned like 350 on some of these houses. And we weren't, at the time, we weren't overpaying for them. Uh, well, we weren't underpaying for them. They were probably, I think we sold most of them in the 90 to 120 range. So if the bank's, you know, bank's taking a haircut at 350, we're buying at like 50 and selling them at like, you know, maybe 120 max. Right. Um, from a, like a risk management standpoint, that was a tough, that was a tough market to really be in, uh, kind of for anyone. So I don't know, should have bought a lot more, I guess. Right. Right. I mean, for right now, it seemed like a lot of, a lot of, I don't know if it's hedge funds, but people are buying homes at retail value right now. I don't know if they, yeah, that's crazy. 
Yeah, if they're doing that just to hold them and eventually they think in the market, the equity will be there years later or I I don't know. It's just it's just it's it's interesting to see what's going to happen with this whole thing. I, Me personally, I think the government is going to bail more and more people out, even with this extending the, the uh, eviction moratorium and everything. Mm. And uh, it's just really uh, it should be a balance, but it's mm. very uh yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, but it, it, yeah, it tends to swing. Like there's, you know, there's a, a good amount of government intervention. Regulation is obviously good for a healthy market to kind of keep things steer the right direction, but it can definitely swing a little bit too ridiculous where it's not necessarily remark like reacting to market dynamics. It's more the government just trying to uh, kind of push policy that benefits them. So it, it's, it's tough to say. I think, um, I think we're in a very different market than we were in 2008 to 2009. Right. in real estate in general. Uh, I think I think from kind of almost top to bottom, there's a lot of reasons why I kind of think we're going to keep seeing market appreciation. And it doesn't mean that I necessarily like that. Um, but I, I think I think we're going to keep going up, to be honest with you. Yeah, right, right. So hoteling, from what you said, seemed to have been, is that one of your best strategies now? I mean, are y'all focusing more or getting a lot of good deals doing it that way with the hoteling? Can you kind of explain that to some of my list is oh, yeah 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 a bunch of your listeners are probably do a lot of wholesales a lot of like kind of fast fast in and out kind of stuff yeah, yeah. okay yeah uh absolutely um so wholesale obviously you're moving the contract right you got a to b and then b to c and you're closing in a simultaneous transaction i'm everyone pretty much knows that probably um retail is uh the way i look at retail is basically doing a flip or whatever where you're hitting the retail market with kind of a high end, like top of the market kind of product. And you're trying to, you're trying to, I'm not going to say you're trying to set records, but when we flip, like we set records once in a while, because it's just, it's a beautiful product and you're trying to like hit that top. Right. And that's inherently kind of risky because it's not as risky if the market's going up, I suppose, but it's inherently kind of risky because you go in here and you're trying to blow out this house and just make it perfect. So you don't know what you're going to bump into. You're going to bump into a bunch of crap. You're going to open up a wall and be like, well, what's all that in the wall? I got to move around now. I didn't know that was there. <laughs> so next thing you know, that's an extra $2,000 to move a bunch of stuff over. Um, and so uh, wholetail for us anyhow is kind of right in the middle. So um, like the tail part comes from retail. You still stick it on the retail market and the like whole wholetail, I guess, kind of steals that from wholesale. So basically like, Long story short, for us, anyhow, a wholesale is closing on a property, so we own it, and then not doing a really comprehensive renovation, doing some light repairs, kind of depending on the property, and then not pricing it for really the top of the market where we're really shooting for like a flip kind of price, but we're shooting like below that. So there's still some room for an end buyer to come in there. And we found it to be a really good strategy, especially in a competitive market like Dallas, where we can we can make decent profits and do a little bit of work, clean up the house, make it like habitable, but without having to do the risk of a full on blown out rehab. Now, that being said, we have, I think we have, uh, I'm not even sure we got like four or five rehabs going on right now too. So we still do a lot of rehabbing, but um, we, we like the strategy. It's a good strategy to kind of, kind of push. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because they, this is the thing I, and I like to say this, I am a real estate agent, but you need to check with your local real estate board and also your local real estate attorney, because some people don't understand hoteling. Some people think yeah. like you actually take ownership of the mm -hmm. house. 
instead of just putting it on the MLS, putting a contract saying that you own. And some people do that in some other states. I mean, you know, they it, it may work for them, but I know the way that the right way to do it is to actually take ownership and then you know, you can put it back on the MLS and actually, actually sell it. But um, what you were saying about the rehab, and it's funny because a, a rehab I'm working on now, they have a gentleman on the side of me and he was trying to compare his property with mine. He has a two bedroom, the rehab, I'm yeah. three bedroom, man, it's not going to sell for that. that, that uh-huh. I've been here for years. And I'm like, and like you said, it's inherent, you know, you, you kind of take the risk, but I'm like, I've looked at the comps. I know that I know the square footage. I see what, but um, you know, I, I like I like doing the rehabs too. But I, I think, like you said, a safer way. A lot of people have been hoteling because mm-hmm. I think they're trying to get in and get out. Because some people are still kind of leery of the market, whether yeah. you know it's correcting itself and and everything like that. So TJ, tell me, man, I I, I um. I heard that you had uh, this accident. I know you share your story as far as the, the grid accident. Where'd you hear, where'd you hear about that, man? Coming back from everything, man. Share that wouldn't be. I, I think it's well. This is what I would say. You know, I ran track in college and for four years, and I was a middle distance runner. And um, two years in a row, I had got stress fracture. So I was for a little bit running because we used to run like sixty miles a week, ten miles a day for cross country. And then that kind of prepared me for middle distance, but I never gave up. And I actually was able to come back quicker because my mindset of, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let this keep me. So I kind of heard a little bit of your story, man. Just tell me how that story, I guess it helps other people and helps you. And then it, it, it seemed to be a story that, you know, people, um, it motivates you to keep going no matter what, obviously. Oh, uh, face, you know. Well, it's, it, it's, it's kind of related to real estate. I, um, let's see. So uh, what, I guess seven years ago when I moved to Dallas, I did all the, all the things wrong that you're not supposed to do. So I got married. Um, we moved to Dallas. I uh, got married in like November, right? Moved to Dallas in June. Started basically started like restarted our family business in Dallas at the time, so I didn't have any contacts out here except for a couple of friends that I just like knew from high school. Um, it was going okay. I mean, it was we're getting into it, kind of figuring out the market and all that stuff. It was a little different, but and then so yeah, get married, move to a new city, start a new business. You're not supposed to do all three of those things, right? That's supposed to test your relationship all over the place. Right. And then for for some stupid reason, in November of that year, I think it was November 2014. Um, I went rock climbing and fell and shattered my back. So I broke uh, a vertebrae right here in the middle. Basically, I like fell about 20 feet, landed on my back, I guess. I'm not sure. I don't remember. It knocked me out um, and it shattered my shattered my back. So it was called a burst fracture. It like t- took the vertebrae and went like that with it and blew it out. Wow. Um, so it really sucked. Uh, went to the hospital. Well, obviously went to the hospital. Got, got picked up by you know firefighters, stuck me in the ambulance, took me down to the hospital do x-rays are like, Oh, your back's broken. Like, well, yeah, that's kind of what it felt like. I can't move anything. So, um, ended up getting, going into surgery pretty quick, about three hours in, I think to relieve the kind of pressure. So it's not the injury that really causes like, like nerve damage. It's the pressure built up around like an injury site like that, that, that causes kind of permanent nerve damage if the circulation like decreases. So fortunately they got me into surgery pretty quick. 
Um, they put metal rods from like here to here or somewhere in there. I don't know. Um, screwed them in, stabilized the whole area. And then after that, they sit you there in recovery and say, well, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Good luck. Um, they kind of prepare you for the worst. So they told my wife, uh, he's probably never going to walk again. He's probably not going to feel like below his injury site, like from here down, he's probably never even going to regain much feeling below that area and be prepared to have like all kinds of life-changing stuff happen. So like they talk about like, uh, uh, expanding doorways in your house, like putting in wheelchair lifts and stairs, just all kinds of crazy stuff. All you're thinking about is screw that. No, I'm definitely going to walk again. Um, and all these people that went to medical school don't know what they're talking about. Uh, well, if you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, then maybe set yourself up for like, uh, not, not being successful. Um, but so they flew me. So the kind of sequence of events was, uh, November, had the accident, fell down, went to the hospital, got surgery, was in uh, recovery for two weeks. And then they flew me, they actually flew me back to San Diego, which was kind of weird because my insurance was still in California. I'd only been in Texas a couple months, like four or five months. So I hadn't bothered to change over my insurance yet. Um, flew me back there and put me in rehab for, uh, it was another, ended up being another eight weeks. So it was 10 weeks total in the hospital. And the process was, so day one, they set you in there and they said, what are your goals? My goals are uh, to walk out of the hospital by the end of the year. And some people say, eh, yeah, maybe we should set more realistic goals. But fortunately, I had a really good doctor uh, in therapy and some really good therapists that said, well, we don't know if that's possible or not. We really realistically don't know what your recovery potential is, but let's give it a shot and let's like push it and see what we can do. So. Um, for eight weeks, worked out, had an hour and a half of physical therapy, hour and a half of uh, some other kind of therapy. And then I went and actually like basically begged the doctor and said, hey, you guys do this like, you have the, all this workout stuff sitting here after hours, no one's using it. Can I go in there and use it again? And they're like, dude, you're, you're freaking nuts, man. You just you just did like like three, four hours of therapy. I'm like, yeah, well, like what else am I gonna do? Sit in my hospital bed and feel shit. So uh, went and about three times a week, hit the gym again afterwards. Uh, I've slimmed down since then, so I'm not as big as I was. But um, ended up uh, actually meeting the goal and walked out of the hospital December 31st, uh, 2014, I guess. Mm -hmm. So right before, yeah, right before January 1st, 2015. Um, and I, I guess how that applies to real estate is it's it's kind of one of our core values. I have it on my computer screen over here is focus. Um, a lot of folks get into business and they see, man, I want to flip and I want to wholesale and I want to do rehabs and I want to do all this stuff. And I want to hire some guys and go teach and whatever. Um, and they don't really start from like a core, like one, one core thing they're focused on really well. And I was the same way. Like I'm, I'm still the same way to to a large extent, but being in the hospital for 10 weeks, we had like one goal is for me anyhow, was work my butt off and try to walk out of there before the end of the year, because, uh, because I know that's the goal. I don't really know what the other option was really. There was like, there's no, no option for failure in my mind anyhow. And that's easy to do in like a two month thing. But where, where, what we really learned from that long-term was when you take the same kind of mindset, the same kind of focus on one singular obtainable or maybe even not obtainable, who knows, you know, you don't even know if you can walk out until you do it, but you focus on one singular goal and say, man, I'm going to build this with the same effort it takes to walk in my business. 
and apply that in your life. And as, and uh, honestly, you can do like really cool things with it, but you gotta, gotta, you gotta fix this part first in order to make it happen. Right. That was kind of long. Sorry about that. No, no, that's no, that's great. Now, as far as like when you got into real estate, did you uh, let's talk about like um, first I wanted to say so you learned a lot from what you had went through as far as the adversity. Mm-hmm. What about uh, you told me when you you did a lot at the beginning, um, would you do that over again? You say you moved, you started flipping. You, it was like you had multiple things going on at one time. Did you ever had a mentor, somebody to say, hey, TJ, slow down, put this in perspective. Let's do one, two, three. I mean, how would you go about doing that now? Would you do it? The same yeah. How, how, there wasn't as much, I guess in 06, there wasn't as much, I don't even know if bigger pockets was around yet. That's kind of one of the first like kind of things. There's a lot of books, I guess. There's a lot of the seminars, a lot of the gurus out there teaching expensive courses. I didn't take any of that. Uh, to be honest, I maybe should have, like maybe should have followed and found like a mentor for finding like, here's one path for doing stuff. Um, if I were to get started right now, I think I would probably, I do one of like several things, depending on what age I was at this age. Shoot, well, I don't know what I'd do at this age now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, younger, I would either probably join, probably join like a company and learn how to wholesale like just really well and kind of get like a volume-based model kind of like wrap my head around it because you can make a ton of money just doing that. And you don't have to worry about the like the lead gen and the acquisitions and the raising money and all the rest of that stuff. You learn how to negotiate good deals first. If you can learn how to negotiate good deals, then you're going to get, you know, you're going to get deals. You just got to find out how to get leads later. So I'd probably start off trying to actually work for someone. And that's kind of weird because I've never really, I mean, I guess when I was doing loans in 2005, I worked for someone, but I haven't worked for anyone since then. So I like, that's like I said, I, I don't know if I'd follow, I don't know if I'd follow my own advice. I, think and I sure pretty, wouldn't start I the think way that's I did. great you said that though, TJ, because, you know, I, I meet a lot of people that want to get into business, but they don't even want to work for free. And I'm like, man, if I wish I would have had a mentor yeah. that was very successful, I'll work for free all day because the information that I'm getting, getting is priceless. But so many people want it so quick and they don't have the mindset, like you say, to just they don't know that the time because either way it go, you trading um, time, you know, you're going to either spend the money or you're going to spend your time. Absolutely. which one you uh want to to actually juggle that but um but yeah that's go ahead and maybe figure out figure out maybe what you want to do too because i I just used wholesaling as an example but say you want to flip a house because you really think it'd be fun um that's a different strategy it's a lower volume strategy but uh, it's, it's more complex there's more moving parts to it but maybe you find maybe you find someone that's like in like your position or like my position and bring a deal in and say, hey, I really want to flip this house. Can you help me walk through it? And I mean, most people in this business are pretty, pretty open about like, hey, no, you know, I'd love to help. Sometimes right. there's costs associated with that if it's like an official mentorship, and I'm not necessarily opposed to that. Um, and sometimes you just like get information from folks for free by going to networking groups and kind of learning. So there's nothing wrong with that, but definitely, definitely pick like like one thing that you want to do first before you go like trying to do a whole bunch of different stuff. Right, right. Uh, another thing I like about you is, uh, I guess, you and your family, your wife. I think y'all have a charity that y'all uh, give back to, right? We, uh, yeah, sort of. We don't we don't own a charity ourselves, but we uh, do give a lot of charity. 
We have a, we kind of dedicate a portion of, of our company profits to charities. We evaluate that once every, uh, I think it's once every six months, something like that. And then we're big on supporting. There's a, a friend of mine in the Dallas market uh, has a big, a good size charity for, um, he calls it beat kids cancer. So it's a great charity. They, it's not, uh, it's not for like, it's not, it doesn't just give money to about like a big uh, funding research thing, which is, hey, there's nothing wrong with that, but it really helps families whose kids are going through cancer, pay their bills and provides them just uh, like funds while they're going through this kind of bad process. So we give to that. We, you know, play in the golf tournaments, all that good stuff. Uh, I think we raised, we just, uh, one of the first live events a couple months ago, we, we basically raised, I think like five grand or something. Um, for for the charity like we donated some ourselves and then we did a giveaway where folks that wanted to pay a little bit uh to come to the office spend two days in our office here um all of that just went directly to the charity so if we were to do that for like like actually charge people for it i don't even know what we charge them but we just you know we donated our time for that and we had i think 10 15 people come by and learn you know learn pieces of the business and 100 of their kind of contribution went to the charity so we, we try to do stuff like that as much as we can. Um, I think uh, a, a lot of folks maybe do the business because they want to go start a charity. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me, for me, anyhow, I'd rather focus on our business being like successful and running well, and then partner up with charities that we like. I think it makes more sense for us. Right, right. So uh, TJ, let us know how can the uh, the audience how can they uh, get a hold of you like how can they contact you if they have any questions they may even have some deals out there in the, the Dallas area how can they uh, get in contact with you yeah no absolutely um, probably on Facebook's probably the easiest so TJ Cozen you can find me if you send me a friend request like send me a little PM or something like that probably because I mean we all get spammed with friends and big friends I guess uh, Instagram. I, we, I've actually bought a couple of deals just because of stuff I post on Instagram. I don't have a huge following, but it works. So TJ Cozen uh, on Instagram. And then uh, we started a YouTube channel. So it's kind of cool. You can follow our YouTube like little, it's not really our journey. It's kind of an honestly, it's kind of a pain in the ass to go out and like film stuff at these different houses. Like, oh crap, right. we got to get more content. Let's go. You're right. <laughs> um, but we got some fun stuff up there. We've done, you know, we got hoarder houses. We got, uh, uh, what do we got? I was just uh, flip houses, like dirt out in the middle of nowhere. We got all kinds of fun stuff. So I've, we're pretty easy to find, pretty approachable. Right. Well, man, TJ, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate you taking time out your schedule. And anything else you would like to share with the audience, uh, books or just, um, I mean, gold nuggets you've learned over the years of just people trying to get in real estate? Yeah. Um, books. So for getting started, like honestly, is pick something that you want to do that you maybe don't maybe don't love like really fall in love with it but where you can put up with like the bad parts of it and be really good at the good parts of it and just focus on finding out how to make one thing work first and then build from there so if it's wholesaling if it's marketing for wholesale deals if it's putting out bandit signs you know start with start with one thing like make that work really really well and then from there expand into other stuff so that you can expand your business that way. Otherwise, if you're picking up different stuff all over the place, you're going to get kind of scatterbrained and you'll have some success, but it'll be, it'll, you'll be learning a lot of different stuff way too, way too all over the place. Pick one thing. It's not, it doesn't sound that sexy, but pick one thing and optimize it really well. 
and then expand because you're going to expand and you're going to be really successful if you do it. Yeah. And that's good advice. Well, TJ, I appreciate you again, man. I hope everybody took notes on that. And uh, that's the end of our show. So guys, thank you all for tuning in and I will see you on the next podcast. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Dive Into Real Estate Investing for Newbies podcast at diveintorealestateforneubies.com.